1: Fresh for your ears, tell everybody. The new podcast from the producers of Destination Freedom Black Radio Days comes the eclectic. Interviews with difference makers, artists, authors, bold thinkers, people we love who get stuff done. We hope you enjoy. Our guest is Senior Judge, Denver County Court, The Honorable Gary Jackson. We discuss his 50-year legal career, and as he describes it, being the only black person in the room. Next on The Eclectic, The Honorable Judge Gary Jackson. This is Donnie Betts, and this is the podcast, The Eclectic, where we talk to people who, as we say, get things done. And we're honored to have with us The Honorable Gary Jackson, now, I don't know if the word retired would be the right word for him because he's still doing so many things. But I know what is important that I want to mention first at the top of this. He's a 2021 National Bar Association, Fred Gray Hall of Fame inductee. OK, that is a big deal in legal circles. And, and Gary, just explain that award to us for people who don't know. And, and, and we're talking to Gary Jackson, who uh, was a judge, an attorney um, property owner in, 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 um, Lickin Hills, which was used to be all black resort. Uh, one of the people that made sure that Coors field is Coors fields as we know it in Denver, Colorado for the baseball team, the Colorado Rockies, just, just everything. He's done some of everything. We'll talk about a little bit about today. This is just our first interview of hopefully a many. Well,
0: Donnie, thank you much. And, um, I appreciate you asking me the first question regarding the National Bar Association because in my career, I have received dozens of awards. And uh, for me, uh, being inducted into the National Bar Association Hall of Fame is reaching the top of the mountain in terms of awards. The National Bar Association is a black institution and it was formed in 1924. And it was formed because of Jim Crow policies and discriminatory policies in the United States that prevented black lawyers and judges from being um, members of the American Bar Association. So as a result of those types of discriminatory practices, we formed our own national legal organization, and uh, in 1924, when it was formed, it was formed by 12 lawyers. Uh, they actually met in Iowa uh, to form it, but it became an organization uh, nationwide where uh, today there may be 16,000 black lawyers and judges from across the nation that are members of the organization oh wow and so for me uh the hall of fame was started in 1986 okay and it was named after fred gray fred gray was the historic uh lawyer who represented martin luther king yes uh during the civil rights days so when Martin Luther King had a civil rights issue or if there was a situation where he found himself in jail and needed to go to court, it was Fred Gray who represented him. And Fred Gray is alive today. Yes, he is. He is, is. <laughs> uh, over 90 years of age. He is the first um, uh, black... Uh, let me say, president of the Alabama Bar Association, and that occurred probably in nineteen, probably in the early two thousands. Mm-hmm. He uh, was selected to be the first black president of the Alabama Bar Association, and one of the things that he did during his year as president of the Alabama Bar Association, he created a hall of fame in Alabama so that black lawyers and judges in Alabama could be recognized uh, for their accomplishments in, in the legal field. So our National Bar Association, which was formed in 1986 and has about 246 members, there are historic figures like Thurgood Marshall, Honorable Thurgood Marshall that's in the Hall of Fame. Of course, Fred Gray, uh, Constance Motley Baker, who was the first black woman federal court judge.
2: Mm -hmm. Um,
0: uh, William Harold Flowers uh, Sr., who uh, is the father of Sonny Flowers, one of my best friends. (laughs) He is a a lawyer out of uh, Pine Bluff, Arkansas. And he was one of the early presidents of the National Bar Association uh, back in the, 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 in the late 30s, uh, early 40s. So he's a member of the National Bar Association. So um, it, it makes me very proud uh, to be selected as uh, a uh, member of that bar association uh, in my 51st year of being a lawyer and judge.
1: Well, I can see why you're so honored, because that's very esteemed company that you're in, um, that you're just mentioned all those great names and all those great attorneys who are part of that. So, um, and you mentioned Fred Gray being still alive. There's a wonderful <clears throat> conversation that he has. Uh, I believe it was in San Francisco uh, that he gave this, this conversation, this talk, Um that's online now that people can go and take a listen to. And he talked about the forming of the, the hall of fame and also just the work he had done with MLK. So I would suggest our audience, uh, grab that. Just got Google Fred Gray's name. And I think that's one of the first thing will come up now. So thank you so much for sharing that information. It's even more in depth and deeper than I even imagined. So.
0: Okay. Well, I know, uh, when he was, um, uh, so lucky to be the president of the Alabama Bar Association, he did a nationwide tour. And he came to Colorado. And uh, Wiley Daniel, our mm-hmm. uh, first black federal court judge uh, here in Colorado, Wiley and I had an opportunity to squire Fred Gray around in 2001 when he was in Colorado. So it's uh, – and I – Uh, Having been a member of the National Bar Association since about 1976,
2: Hmm.
0: I've had an occasion to meet him on various occasions at uh, National Bar Association conventions, which would be held once a year in various cities.
1: We're speaking with the Honorable Gary Jackson, who we were just talking about his induction into the National Bar Association, Fred Gray Hall of Fame, and speaking about Fred Gray in particular. But other things that we want to talk about today with uh, Honorable Gary Jackson is just part of his career. Like I said, this is the first out many, uh, I think, conversations that we'll have with him. Uh, he's held many, many esteemed uh, positions uh, throughout the legal system, you know, from being a uh, 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 district attorney working in the Denver district attorney office. Uh, he has a BA from the university of Colorado and his JD, JD from the university of Colorado school of law. And let's talk about that because that's one of the, I think one of the tasks that you have, I don't know, put upon yourself or others to make sure that's more equitable uh, representation at CU, uh, CU Boulder. It some, that's your alum and you think there's still, still, lagging behind the rest of the country when it comes to representation of black and brown attorneys?
0: Well, that's uh, that's correct, Donnie. Um, When I went to CU Boulder, it was 1964. Um, I transferred from the University of Redlands to CU Boulder in 64. I graduated uh, from undergrad in 1967. And entered the law school in the fall of 1967. When I entered the law school in my class of 150, there were only three black attorneys in that class of 150. In hmm. the whole school, which would have been about 450 students, there were only four black law students out of 450 uh, in the whole school. Good Lord. So— Um, uh, I graduated from CU Law School in 1970, so it has been a pledge by me ever since I graduated to, uh, do what I could do to expand the opportunities of not only black students, brown students, Asian students, uh, uh, to come to CU Law School, but to also, uh, for black professors and, uh, staff members. The whole time that I was in the law school, there was not any professor of color uh, at the law school. In fact, during the whole time I was at the law school, there was no uh, women uh, professors. Mm. So uh, it has been a goal of mine, as well as the Sam Curry Bar Association, which I was one of the founding members in 1971 to try and uh, um, make more opportunities uh, available uh, in the legal profession, including law schools, uh, CU and DU, for um, uh, attorneys of color, professors of color, uh, uh, female professors. So that's been something that I've worked on for uh, now 51 years.
1: Hmm. We appreciate that work, because it is work, and it's a heavy lifting seems, um when it comes to University of Colorado. <clears throat> and, of course, other well, schools Donnie, around the country, you know,
0: Donnie, too. what's exciting, what's exciting, I don't mean to interrupt you.
1: No, that's okay. Is
0: that this year, this year, CU has hired a woman, a black woman dean, to be the dean of CU Law School. Fantastic. So that uh, is an historic step. I know I was involved with the hiring of the first black law professor, hmm. which would have been sometime in the late 70s. Okay. And now we've reached the point where we now have our first uh, black uh, female dean, uh, Dean Buckner, who will be heading up the law school for uh, the coming years.
1: That's fantastic. That's is, that is progress, you know. Slow and steady progress, as they say, but at least progress. So we appreciate you and appreciate the work. Now, you mentioned something a little early in the conversation about an organization called the Sam Carey Bar Association. And uh, you have received an award from them, the King Tremble Lifetime Achievement Award. Um, luckily, since I am from Colorado, I'm familiar with the organization, familiar with King Tremble and that sort of thing. For our audience who not, may not be familiar with that and not from the area, from Colorado, can you... Explain what the Sam Carey Bar Association is and who King Tremor was.
0: Sure. Uh, The Sam Carey Bar Association was founded in 1971 by seven um, black attorneys. Um, At that time in 1971, there were approximately 15 black attorneys in the whole state. Oh, my God. The seven of us that formed the Sam Carey Bar Association I would describe ourselves as being young turks. And when I say that, we were all under the age of uh, 30, probably. Uh, We were all uh, what I would call socially conscious. We were all um, had the attitude that uh, we wanted to change the dynamics of the law profession here in Colorado. So the seven members, uh, and I'll begin with our very first president, Billy Lewis. Mm -hmm. Billy Lewis was the very first president of Sam Carey. At the time in 1971, he owned his own uh, law building on 1839 York Street. He had uh, four or five lawyers that worked in his law firm, of which two were white lawyers, so I would have to say that he had one of the first integrated uh, law practices. The, uh, uh, an, another person that uh, was one of the founders would have been Phil Jones. Phil Jones was a law partner of Billy Lewis. Phil Jones uh, uh, graduated from CU Law School one year ahead of me. He was the other black law student that was at the law school. Um, He, uh, like I said, was probably under the age of 30 when uh, he became one of the founders of the Sam Carey Bar Association. Um, Billy Lewis has passed away, but Phil Jones is still alive and well. Uh, He ended up having a very uh, meaningful experience uh, legal experiences because after a few years of private practice with Billy Lewis, he became a lawyer with the U S state department. Okay. And so he traveled the world, basically representing the U S government as a part of the, uh, of the state department. The third, um, gentleman that, uh, was a member of this, uh, was one of the founders of the Sam Carey Bar Association, was King Trimble, uh, who Donnie, you just mentioned. King Trimble was uh, um, in private practice. He had uh, come to Colorado for private practice after serving several years as an assistant U.S. attorney in St. Louis. Um, he has passed away, but uh, During his legal career, not only having a significant private practice, he served on the Denver City Council. And so he was prominent in uh, uh, being a member of the Denver City Council and being one of the uh, uh, individuals that represented the citizens of Denver from northeast Denver. Hmm. The next member of the Sam Carey Bar Association was Norm Early. Norm Early and I uh, were exactly the same age, 24 years of age. Norm Early had come to Colorado from Washington, D.C. He'd gone to law school in um, Illinois. Uh, When he came to Colorado in 1970, 1971, he was a legal aid lawyer. And um, as many of your audience will know, he became our first black lawyer. Uh, Denver District Attorney and served as the Denver District Attorney for about two different terms. The next member of our next founding member of the Sam Carey uh, would have been the Honorable Raymond Dean Jones. Raymond uh, went to Harvard Law School. Uh, Prior to Harvard Law School he graduated from CC uh, in Colorado Springs. He was a Pueblo native and uh, uh, in, uh, he uh, uh, was hired by Dale Tooley to uh, be a deputy district attorney. But one of the significant thing that he did um, once he graduated from law school is that he was the law clerk for uh, the chief justice of the Colorado Supreme Court. So that was his first job out of law school was as a law clerk for the uh, Chief Justice of the Colorado Supreme Court. He would have been the very first black law clerk for any uh, Supreme Court justice in Colorado. But his um, um, judicial career included uh, being on the Denver County Court bench, the Denver District Court bench, and being appointed by Governor Romer to be the very first uh, uh, Black uh, Court of Appeals judge. Uh, Raymond is uh, uh, still alive and well. He's now retired. And uh, then the last uh, founding member, which is the seventh person, uh, although I'm describing him as last, he was uh, uh, very, very pr- prominent uh as a lawyer in denver uh, he was uh, hired by mayor wellington webb to be uh, his city attorney he served with wellington webb for at least two terms as the city attorney in denver uh dan muse also was alive and well and so i've just given you donnie the uh, seven uh, founding members of the Sam Carey Bar Association. And as you can see, uh, each of us have distinguished ourselves in uh, in, a, in a very, very prominent way in the legal circles and the judicial circles here in Colorado. I would,
1: I would say that you all have, and I would say I've had the honor of uh, interviewing, almost, I think, almost everyone. Uh, at one time, I think five of the seven, for a um, an award ceremony, but the five of the seven got together. Um, I can't remember what office we were in, but we were down in the city park or so, uh, in the office down there in one of the. I'm uh, uh, doing this interview, so um, so I'm glad that I was able to capture that at one time, and so I'll share that with you sometime, uh, once we're uh, outside of this. Well, I
0: re- I remember that interview very well, Donnie, yes. and I believe the copy of that interview. Maybe with the Blair Caldwell Library, but uh, um, probably if, 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 if it's not, uh, I would like I'd like to see uh, that interview uh, 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 become a, part of the archives of the Sam Curry Bar Association at the library.
1: Well, you know, I can take care of that.
0: <laughs> that would be great. Yeah, that would I be can great take care. Because, of that. Yeah, Terry Nelson is uh, is being. Uh, Uh, very active in terms of trying to pull together information regarding the Sam Carey Bar Association, because we are now celebrating the 50th year of our founding. And um, uh, the reality is, is that we are one of the uh, more prominent uh, black uh, chapters of the National Bar Association. Uh, One of the reasons that we are one of the more prominent ones is that back in 1986, we formed our own 501C3, and we have been raising money to provide scholarship to black CU and DU law students since 1986. And I'd have to say that we're probably one of the very few chapters across the nation that has their own foundation uh, in which we've raised money.
1: That is fantastic, incredible. We're speaking with the Honorable Gary Jackson. Um, As I said, the word retired does not fit him, as you just heard, the work he's been doing uh, with the foundation and with his fellow colleagues. Who um, I I think you put it very well yourself. You said uh, a lot of times you're the only black person in the room. And what you're trying to do with your foundation and with helping with your colleagues and just the work that you're doing with CU and DU and other uh, entities is that you're trying to make sure that other people are not the only black person, not the only person of color in the room. And for that, we are so so honored and, and, and proud that you can take care of that and do, do that. I want to ask you something a little bit different, not really different, it goes along. But you talk about, you know, as being a judge <clears throat> uh, for many years, you have, and you worked in the criminal cases and so on and so forth. So you spoke about, um, of course, all the, the different protests that have gone on over the years, but in particular 2020. And the fact that, you know, people like um, George Floyd and Rashid Brooks and Elijah McClain and so forth should be still alive. And a lot of times when um, individuals go into a courtroom, all they see is people that are, don't look like them. But those people hold power and sway over their lives. Can you kind of speak about that, how you want to try to eradicate some of that socioeconomic barriers that in and, and educational opportunities for black men and women?
0: Uh, yes, Donnie. Um, one of the reasons that when I left my private law firm after 37 years that I decided to be a Denver County Court judge rather than a district court judge or an appellate court judge was that I thought that as a county court judge I would have a greater reach In terms of people. Mm -hmm. Uh, There would be more people that would have an opportunity to come into my courtroom, have some type of association with me, whether they be jurors, witnesses, plaintiffs, defendants, victims, uh, in, in law cases. And I thought that by being a county court judge, this is the court, which most uh, people have some type of association with. And when I say that, uh, traffic cases, uh, civil cases in which there's a a monetary issue of under $25,000, DUIs, careless driving, uh, you know, these are some of the types of cases that come before a Denver County Court judge. And it was my thought that uh, by being a Denver court County Court judge I could serve as a role model for, for so many people that uh, would let uh, black people brown people poor people know that there are possibilities of being a judge by just seeing me in that position of authority yes um, I know that uh, one of my proudest moments, would have been a trial where I had a black deputy district attorney in front of me, a black public defender on the other side of the case in front of me, and uh, when witnesses were called. I can remember the case being a driving under the influence of marijuana where the uh, public defender, uh, a black female, used as their expert witness a black doctor from the University of Colorado to come in and come testify. So it's those types of experiences that show the possibilities to others uh, and to be able to show uh, others that uh, we can be equally involved in the legal system. And uh, I can... Remember what a proud moment it was for me because if anybody had walked into that courtroom, uh, they would have thought that they were in Atlanta <laughs> or they would have thought that maybe they were in New York. Right. But they were in Denver, Colorado and uh, would be able to see uh, those black individuals um, rep- uh, handling a, a, a legal matter in which I was the judge. Let me so that gives you an example of of um, what my efforts have been and one of the reasons why, after 37 years of a private practice, that I decided to be a county court judge.
1: Interesting. Yeah. So, Well, you thought you could have the greatest impact, which I think is a powerful, powerful statement. Let me go where I think I am most needed and when I can have the most impact. Where some people would just be looking for that big jump in their careers, you know, after, like I said, 37 years of having your own law firm. You think, oh, okay, Supreme Court justice or whatever the case might be. What? Let me just ask you, we have about mm, three and a half minutes left in this particular time. What does it take to be a judge? What, what, what happens? What steps are necessary okay. to... Uh, to get on the bench in that black robe?
0: Well, the reality is, is that uh, you have to be a lawyer. And uh, depending upon the jurisdiction um, and the nature of the type of judge, uh, typically it's a person that has had five years of some type of legal experience. Okay. So, um, and, and that legal experience could be um, a variety of experience, whether you're in private practice, you're a prosecutor, you're a public defender, or you're a corporate lawyer or a uh, law professor. Uh, there is no particular requirement as to the nature of, of your prior practice before applying to be a uh, judge. Now, um, in Denver, for the Denver County Court, There is a nominating commission of seven people that will nominate three names uh, to go to the mayor, and the mayor makes the final decision as to who is a Denver County Court judge. As to all other statewide judges uh, on the county court, district court, appellate court level, there are nominating commissions in 23 judicial districts that will select three names and send it to the governor. And then the governor selects the person that will be a judge, let's say in Pueblo County or El Paso County or Weld County or uh, Denver District Court or the appellate courts or the Supreme Court. So uh, that is uh, uh, the criteria is being a lawyer having five years of legal experience, and then uh, going through the uh, selection and nominating process with the judicial nominating commissions, and then either the mayor or the governor making the final selection.
1: Thank you so much for sharing that. A lot of people just don't know what the process is. Let me, let me ask you this. And this I'm going to ask you again when we have our next interview, and this one will be on camera, but this one I want to get for this particular podcast I'm doing a film uh, called Stop Resisting. It's really about uh, lack of transparency, um, qualified immunity, and the use of force in America by uh, law enforcement and others. What do you think... People have said, district attorneys have too much power in this country. What are your thoughts on that? Because, you know, they, they can... They can break, or break a case. They can bring a case to the court. They can talk about what kind of sentence should be weighed, laid down. If a police officer should be charged, if, um, if the "quote unquote" victim should be charged. What are your thoughts on that?
0: Well, you know my my philosophy ever since I started being a lawyer was. Um, I wanted to be an insider.
2: Hmm.
0: I wanted to be in that room. I wanted to be the person making that decision. And so, um, uh, as you know, Donnie, as we've talked about, I started off as a deputy uh, uh, district attorney in Denver. Yes. I I rose to the level of a chief trial deputy uh, in Denver. And then I went over to the U.S. Attorney's Office and I was an assistant U.S. attorney uh, for the District of Colorado. So I was involved with uh, um, being the person in the room making those decisions. And I think it's important for people of color to be in positions of power, to be making the decisions that are affecting the, the lives of, uh, of our of our citizenry. Um the case I like to talk about is the Minnesota case, the Chalvin case. Donnie, I know you're aware that the top prosecutor in that case was black. Yes. He was the attorney general for Minnesota. Their top in trial prosecutor was Jerry Blackwell. He's black. Yes. They recruited him from private practice to be the lead prosecutor in that case. In my opinion, That made a difference in terms of the success of that case because you had uh, black people in positions of power making a decision on what witnesses were going to be called, uh, interviewing those witnesses, uh, doing the direct and cross-examination of those witnesses, and uh, uh, persuading certain witnesses to testify within the police and investigative field where oftentimes uh, that blue wall has prevented certain officers uh, 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 from testifying in cases against other officers to me. um, And I was prideful because having been a prosecutor myself, I know that, uh, It's important to be making those decisions, whether it's a decision to prosecute someone, a decision to determine that there is not sufficient evidence to prosecute someone, uh, to be a judge who's making the decision, if it's a criminal case, is the person going to get probation or does the person go to jail, or if it's a civil case or a divorce case, um, how Uh, child support is going to be divided up uh, uh, between a uh, husband and wife or alimony because we have black people. I don't like to just talk about the criminal area, Donnie, because we have black people that go into divorce courts. We have black people that go into probate court when when they've died and, and property is to be distributed. We have black people going into civil court on personal injury cases. I think in each of those circumstances, um, there would be a higher level of trust and confidence if there were people of color that are the deciding officials, the judges. So that's where I come back in terms of my philosophy of being uh, a decision maker, uh, my philosophy of being— um, a person that is an insider. Uh, so, my, and so I've been an insider uh, for 51 years. I, and I include having my own law firm for 37 years as being an insider. In other words, I was deciding who was uh, uh, going to be the lawyer in my law firm. I wasn't the employee of, of someone else. So, uh, that's, that's my philosophy, Donnie. And, uh, in terms of being an insider and a person that is making the decisions, which, uh, um, as you stated, uh, I was one of the attorneys, one of the trial attorneys that acquired the property to, do, to build Coors Field. So where the Rockies are playing, uh, I, uh, was intimately involved in acquiring that property to build Gores Field. And that's a, you know, that's a public stadium where people of all color can come to recreate and uh, enjoy baseball. And so uh, that's a source of pride for me, being an insider in that public effort.
1: I think that you've laid it out so eloquently about having a seat at the table. And as people always say, and it's always an adage, but it's an adage that's always correct. You know, if we have a seat at the table, we can help make those hard decisions and sometimes those right decisions that will impact lives, not only now in the present when you're in that courtroom, but forever. Uh, In some cases, impact a person's life as they go into the future, or if they have a future, it can go either way. So I appreciate you sharing that that information and how you... How you came about that decision, how you wanted to live your life, you wanted to be an insider, I think that's fantastic. We so appreciate that. Gary, for this session, we're going to end it there because I think that's a great place to end it, about how your philosophy is of being an insider. We've talked about how your philosophy is, how you hope to impact those next generation of young legal minds um, to have an impact on these, as we talk about, lies, as they go into the future. I hope that we can you would join us again not only here but like I said in a sit down face to face video interview as well too.
0: Donnie, I'd be pleased to. You and I have known each other for 30 plus years. Yes, and, uh, I, I couldn't be more happy. We've uh, done everything from uh, this interview to putting on uh, performances up in Lincoln Hills, which yes. is uh, important historically for. Uh, black people, and for uh, our uh, uh, our various communities, the importance of what happened in Lincoln Hills. So exactly. I look forward to talking about that sometime.
1: Absolutely, that'll be our next conversation. We'll start with that, you know, and we, and I definitely want to talk about you know your beautiful marriage to Regina for so many years, and that uh, relationship. We talked about uh, how those bonds between individuals and a great team, I think you guys are. So we'll talk about that next time as well.
0: Okay, sounds good, Donnie. All right.
1: Thank you much. Thank you so much. I'll be in touch. Okay, okay. bye-bye. Thank you for listening to The Eclectic. The Eclectic is produced by Donnie OpenS and No Credits Production, LLC. The series is remixed by Maurice Smith, a.k.a. Reese. Please subscribe to our podcasts at Spotify, Radio Public, iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. Follow us on Facebook at NoCreditsProductionLLC.com, Instagram, on Twitter at Donnie Betts, or The Eclectic, The Podcast. I'm your host and producer, Donnie L.